I said last hour I was going to go back and change his grade. <laughs> no, he did well, and he especially did well in Mary and Kathleen. Good morning, and thank you for uh, the honor of being with you today. Speaking of Scotty and Evan, they're right here with Miss Joan, and we are so thankful that they're in your area and then have the opportunity to uh, be a part of events like this when, when we come this way. Mike, my beloved friend and brother, I love so much and so grateful for, for your great work here as well as with GBN and so many other ways, and for all the good things that, that come from the Olive Branch congregation. You know, the last time I was here, it's hard to believe, some of you were here when Brother C.W. Bradley preached here, his last full-time located work. And you talking about a man of God, someone who was indeed a prince. We had him for two years uh, teaching with us in, in the late 80s at FHU, and uh, he and I were hand in glove. And those are two of my favorite uh, years. And. Uh, I would tell our students, whenever I had the opportunity to introduce him or present him, that uh, one of the distinctions that Brother Bradley had was that he did Elvis's funeral. And uh, I would turn to him and say, Brother Bradley, is Elvis in the building? And he said, no, you know, <laughs> he is not. But uh, we had a wonderful time together. During that time, though, that he preached at Olive Branch, uh, he arranged for me to come and hold a gospel meeting with you, and uh, I've loved it ever since, and love the reputation and the service of this congregation. When someone says Olive Branch Church of Christ, have you ever thought, what do people on the outside think? In particular, when someone drives by and they see the sign and they may know nothing about the Lord's church and they may know nothing about those of you who make up the Olive Branch congregation, but do you wonder what they wonder? In fact, from time to time, it is good for us to give thought to just exactly who are we what is the Olive Branch Church of Christ? The Holy Spirit has given us a tremendous example in this reading that we have just enjoyed again. And I don't know how you could ever grow tired really of any portion of Scripture, but in particular, the hub of the Bible, if you please, Acts chapter 2. Everything before pointed to that and everything since points back to that. And so when James and I were talking about topics, and we we're talking about a theme for the day with an emphasis on fellowship, this passage immediately came to mind. And in particular, uh, the idea that was to be emphasized this hour was our love as brothers and sisters in Christ for each other. And again, one reason we love the church is because we love those who make up the church. It's not just the idea, not just the concept of the church, but what the church really is. 
And so the emphasis is upon loving each other. Let's look first of all at some characteristics. I went forward too fast. Let me try again here. Okay, y'all help me upstairs. I think I'm, we're going again. Okay, number one, the text emphasizes uh, in verses 42, really verse 42, these three characteristics of devotion. And again, as we think about these qualities of the church of Christ in Jerusalem, and you know, the church really did not need to be referred to in the first century as the church of Christ. Most of the time we just simply find it the church, right? It might be the church at Ephesus, it might be the church at Philippi, it might be the church at Rome. And so there was a congregation, the first congregation in Jerusalem that provides us with the model, with a model of evangelistic work, with a model for education work, and the model for benevolent work. So we keep turning back to these pages. Notice, first of all, they were devoted to the scriptures. Now, if anybody knows anything about Olive Branch, would they say, okay, first of all, they are a God-believing people. And by that we mean not just believe in God, but we believe God. And that means we take Him at His word. And His word cannot be broken. And so, when we think about that, do they think they're a Bible-based people? That whatever they do and whatever they practice, there's an example of that, or there's a command for that, or there's an implication in Scripture for that, that we're supposed to do in the 21st century as well. Uh, do they think of us as being a Christ-centered people? That we're not only the church of Christ, but we are the church of the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We belong to Him. We are indeed His bride. And in that, we take great honor and we take the right kind of pride and even glory, but not glory for ourselves, but glory that is in Him. So in the first century church, they were devoted to Scripture. They taught and listened to the apostles' teaching or to the apostles' doctrine, and they preached the message that the Lord Himself had preached. Do you remember when later in the book of Acts in chapter 8, 25 to 40, there's the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch? And in verse 35, one of the best verses ever, we're not told anything that Philip the evangelist told the eunuch it just simply says, he preached unto him Jesus. And you know, if I had but one sermon to hear, Mike, it would be that. I would want to know everything that I could know about Jesus. And being where we are in life right now, that's still what I want to hear. I want to learn as much about the greatest life that has ever been lived by the one who truly is our Lord, as well as our Savior. They were devoted also to being with one another. They were devoted to uh, not only the idea of, of 
the preaching of the Lord, but also to the matter of fellowship. Now, that's what we're doing right now. We're enjoying our fellowship with each other in morning worship. We're going to enjoy fellowship with each other at our fellowship meal, you know, and that's not just what the word fellowship is limited to. We're also going to enjoy a fellowship at another worship service in Bible class. But really it's not that. It's the joint participation in the Christian life. And you have most likely been influenced and been attracted to the church because of someone who has come before you, of someone who has taken and invested time in you to teach you and to lead you to the Lord. Well, that's what they were doing. They were enjoying fellowship with one another. And then they were also devoted to worship. And this passage that talks about that they were in fellowship with the breaking of bread and prayers, there's two different times in this passage where the breaking of bread is used. It's obviously referring to two different things. <clears throat> Excuse me, later on there's going to be the mention there's no question that they're talking about having meals together. So that was a fellowship. But here it is in reference to communion in participating in the Lord's Supper. That's what we have just done. I appreciate uh, the image that you have projected on the screen during that part of our worship. Uh, how can we think of anything other than the Lord and Him crucified? The message that Paul said that's all he wanted to preach, and he did. But they participated in worship. Uh, that is to say, they assembled on a regular basis. And the elders of every congregation make that decision, make that choice. Must we meet on the first day of the week? Absolutely. That's when they met. Did they partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week? Yes. We have an example of that in Troas in Acts 20 and verse 7. And since we do not have the right to do otherwise, we do what they did. So that's why we practice this every first day of the week. And you know, sometimes when we're asked by others, why do you people partake of communion every first day of the week? And you think about that for a moment as if it's some kind of burden or some kind of uh, sacrifice of your time or something. Uh, can you imagine what it would be like if we did not partake of the Lord's Supper? every first day of the week. Uh, in fact, during the pandemic, arrangements were made for all of us to have uh, these communion cups that we were able to pick up from our respective congregations and uh, do our services live streaming. And that was a good thing to be able to do during that time. But it, it's a poor substitute really, isn't it? For being together. And the Lord knew that. And so he's given us the examples of devotion of these early saints, to the Word of God being preached, to the matter of being together in fellowship in everything that they did, as well as in the acts of worship. Uh, secondly, they were a reverent people. I'm sorry, go a little too fast. Uh, they were in reverence of the greatness of God. Now this is an interesting expression about great fear or awe came upon all the people uh, in that congregation. Uh, our young people, in fact, I don't know if we ever grow out of it, but they really like the word awesome. Have you noticed that? And uh, it's a good word. It really is. 
the word in the Greek New Testament really comes from the word phobia. All means, uh, comes from phobia. And it means, you know, being struck by. Uh, it's not the kind of fear where we're afraid of what's going to happen to us or anything like that, but rather a godly fear, a godly respect, a godly reverence for exactly who God is and what God was doing through the Lord Jesus. So great awe came upon every soul. And one reason for that was, was because they had firsthand evidence and we have the evidence as a result of reading their story. They had firsthand evidence of God's power as they watched the apostles, as they worked with the apostles. And you know, we're familiar with those names of the 12, Matthias having replaced Judas Iscariot. We're familiar with those names, but there were so many other names. You take like Philip the Evangelist as well as Stephen, who was robbed of a great life of service. And what a tremendous young man that he was as we are found in Acts 6 and 7 when his life was taken from him. Tremendous dynamic, logical, evidence-based speaker in revealing the will of God. Well, anyway, they were, they were witness to the wonders and the powers. There are three different terms that refer to the supernatural in the New Testament. Signs, which is the word that John uses in the Gospel according to John referring to Jesus. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Well, there were two reasons for that. Number one, they did genuinely want to help people with whatever physical malady they had. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as in the Acts, you will find perhaps more than anything, those who suffered from some kind of paralysis and who very much wanted to get up and walk, get up and run, some for the very first time. There were other things, you know, the Lord talks about in Matthew 11, how the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the dumb can speak. Uh, there are demons that are cast out of people, lepers are cleansed, uh, the lame can walk, and in some cases there are those who were raised from the dead. And we know that no one has that power except from God. And that leads to the second reason why the miracles were performed, was because to prove who these people were. In the case of Jesus, to prove that He was in fact from heaven, from eternity, from the right hand of God as the Son of God, simply sent into the world to save the world from itself. And so they were a reverent people in terms of their love for God, and that's going to have impact on everything else. But they had testimony for the truthfulness of all of that, of whatever the apostles taught, through the miraculous that they could perform, and the false teachers among them could not. They could not. So this is a second virtue that we see that we want to see and other people to see when they think not of this building, but of the people who assemble in this building on a regular basis and who are responsible for both the worship and the work of the Lord's church. And then thirdly, they were a people who made an impact. 
And here again is where we want to especially do some introspection and some self-examination of ourselves. Are we making the kind of impact that they made? First of all, in the attitude that they had. Notice that the text says they, they had glad and generous hearts. Nothing that they possessed, they considered their own, but they were willing to share. Now this was a characteristic that was brought into the first century church really from Jewish backgrounds. The Jewish people were a people who especially cared for their own. And they were not as concerned about those who were Gentile, you understand, in fact, calling them dogs, but they were concerned about their own. And on a daily basis, they would take care of the needs of someone that lived, say, on their street or in their neighborhood or close to them. Uh, whatever their need was, it was taken care of day by day. Well, that was brought in to the first century church. It was just like the nature of Jesus himself, wasn't it? Who, again, Peter will say about him, he was a man who went about doing good. That is everywhere that he went. He went about doing good. Said that later in Acts 10 to Cornelius. And then in terms of their relationship with God, they continued to praise God. The more that we can learn of God, the more that we're going to love Him. I appreciate James mentioning uh, the fact that my life has been so richly blessed by the young men and young women like them who walked into my classroom and every single time walked into my heart. And that number, over 47 years, you could imagine, is an enormous number. But I'm the one that is blessed. I'm the one that is the lucky one. Because we'd have the opportunity to day by day, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, we'd have the day to start the day, in my case, Sometimes it was 7.30, but usually 8.30 and 9.30 classes. And we'd talk about the Lord. Uh, we would go through, in particular, the Gospel according to Matthew, because it has the Sermon on the Mount and its completion. It also is the most chronological book of the Gospels. But we would refer to other accounts, other stories, and things that Jesus did that are not recorded, say, by Matthew. But sometimes we would get to a point where I could not contain myself. And this was never something planned in advance. It's just like, you know, when you're doing your daily Bible reading or something like that, and a verse jumps out at you, maybe that you have not noticed before. But it would not be uncommon any semester for me to stop and to ask the class, how in the world can you know this about Jesus and not love him. The more that we expose ourselves to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and really to all the promises about him from the Old Testament and all of the preaching concerning him in the New Testament following the Gospels, everything about him we delight. We take great joy. Our hearts grow and grow and grow spiritually, and we're thankful. That's the way they were in the church in Jerusalem. They never ceased 
or stop praising God, their maker, as well as their savior. And then through the uh, community, notice that they had favor with all the people. Uh, Think about that. What that means is they had a good reputation. They had a good reputation because of their worship. They had a good reputation because of their service. They had a good reputation because of the character of the Lord that they displayed in their lives. And so it's not just as a matter of saying, but it's a matter of saying and doing. Jesus began both to do and to teach that combination that Luke mentions in beginning the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 1. And so must we. So there was a great response from the community. They cared. Those miraculous deeds were being performed upon people who were not yet the children of God, who were not yet a part of what was referred to as the Christ people, and eventually the name Christian. So they had favor with people. And then the last thing about an impact was they affected those who were in a lost condition. Day by day, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. There are only two occasions where Luke tries to give a number, a specific number of first century saints. He does so earlier in this chapter when he talks about 3,000 being baptized in that one day, the first Pentecost following the Lord's resurrection and then his ascension back to heaven. And then later, a couple of chapters later, he mentions that the number is up to 5,000. And that is still in Jerusalem before the gospel begins to spread upon the death of Stephen in chapter 8. So, not just staying with a number like 3,000, but eventually it's 5,000. And then later on when he gives a summary of the growth of the church, which he does five or six times in the book, he just simply says, you know, the number was growing day by day. Uh, And this included the place where churches were planted as a result of Paul's missionary journeys. Well, here's the thing. We exist because at one time, we too were a part of the lost. And like the prodigal son who was lost and found and was blind and could see, upon learning the truth, we believed it. And we obeyed it from the sincerity of our hearts and from our love for God the Father as well as God the Son and love for his word, love for his people. So we have been added to the family of God. That happens at the moment that we come up out of the waters of baptism. No one else has to decide that for us. The Lord himself adds us and makes that promise to every last man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. Which is why that we are involved in the evangelistic efforts that we are, in all of the ways that we are. Printed page, media broadcast all around the world, mission trips, 
everything that you can imagine that can be done so far to this point, we're trying to take advantage of in getting the word out so that more and more can be added to the family of God. What a tremendous task. I mean, if you think about the 8 billion of us on the planet, you, you can be very easily overwhelmed, throw your hands up in the air and, and just quit. But that's not the answer. That's not the solution. If it were possible for people to be saved without obeying the gospel and being added to the church, then we should shut the church down. And we shouldn't do any evangelistic work at all. Let everybody die in ignorance if they could be saved by being ignorant of the truth. But you see, ignorance is no longer an excuse, Acts 17, 30 and 31. And so the impact that they had upon those around them that were lost. And remember, those 3,000 initially were those, some of which may very well have been out in that mob in the night and early morning hours of the day the Lord was crucified, screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Many of them not even knowing why they were there. They were just part of a mob. But they learned the truth. They repented. And they became members of the family of God. As we close very quickly, I want us to take home these questions. I might have to turn around so I can see them a little bit better. Do I have a devoted or a casual relationship with God? In other words, do I take it seriously? Do I call upon Him only when I really need Him? Or do I truly want to be a child that is in fellowship with His Father more and more each day? Am I into the Word? and taking advantage of the privilege and honor of prayer every day. Do I really love fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, you know, there are those that we may like, but not necessarily love. There are those that we may love, but not necessarily like, you know? I mean, that's human nature. But we've got to strive to love everyone. Every person you see represents a never-dying soul until, of course, the second death, which is spiritual death. And so they are valuable. They are important. They are urgent. And we want to be in fellowship with them. We want to share in worship and in service and in life. Uh, do we also allow anything to keep us from worship? In other words, are our priorities always where they need to be, where they must be? The Lord comes first, before all the schedules, before all the activities, before all the interest, before all the desires. Uh, am I aware of the greatness and power of God that I need to be? And do I take my faith into my everyday life or do I leave it at the church building when our services are over? It's kind of like we bring our, our Bibles to the Bible study and worship service and we use them during that time, but we can take them home and lay them down and not look at them again until the next time we assemble, right? 
Now, as we think about our need for worship and service and fellowship in faith and wanting that to be extended and expanded to as many people as we can influence in our lives. You know, we love God, obviously, right? But we also love each other. The reason for the hymns that were selected for our service today, without question, loving one another. And that's what we need to do. Maybe there's someone that we need to work on a little bit more. That is to say, we need to work on ourselves in loving someone more than we do. And we need to take the initiative in doing that. The church is at its best and the church is at its most influential and the church at its greatest potential for growth when there is love for God without question, first and foremost, and then looking all around you to those who are your brothers and sisters, but also to those who are potential for becoming brothers and sisters and showing them the love of the Lord. This morning, the Lord encourages us to respond to him and to become members of that congregation that was established in Acts chapter two and that still is in existence today at Olive Branch, Mississippi. No question in my mind about that. And one reason why we're honored to be with you today is to be encouraged and to be strengthened for just to do even more in all of these areas that we find as examples. That begins by becoming a Christian, by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, having repented of our sins and made that great confession, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we take our place. That's going to be our focus this afternoon, finding our place at Olive Branch. And I hope that we all can be assembled here again. But if you're subject to the invitation today in terms of being able to come back to the Lord, if you've been astray from him, every invitation is an opportunity. It is the Lord himself who is extending that opportunity while we stand and while we sing.